So first things first, I want to say thank you to Chris and Morgan for sharing their experience while they lived in Morocco. Um, that was really, really interesting. And Shai and I have been talking about it the last couple of days. In fact, um, when we first watched the video for the first time and they were talking about how people in the Middle East um, treat time as like this kind of there when God God's allows or God provides yeah. God's time. Shai turns to me the first time we were watching this. You remember this? Absolutely. And I she's like, this. we found your people. This is it. This and is the this, home this is for where <laughs> This is where you need. Because I mean, that You're telling feels me like. I schedule 5 p.m. I show up close to 6. It's, it's all you, dude. It's, it's whenever God provides. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's how we yes. should all be living in yes. my world. Um, but we we love those guys. And Chris and Morgan are um, just deeply valued for sharing that experience and putting that video together. So just Thanks. wanted to say Thanks, thank guys. you very much. And I love all the activity online tonight. Like we've got people just chattering up. So keep it going because we are in a series called Truth Has No Boundaries, and this is kind of a world religions course for us. And this week, we start two weeks of messages on Islam. And this week, I'm going to try to cover, what do we got? We got 33 minutes. We're going to try to do it in. I'm going to, I think we should just guess <laughs> when we'll actually end. Just six, you and I. The over-under? Yeah, go ahead. You you choose the time. You I think put we'll the over-under at 630 Four. Okay, I'm giving a six. F wait, 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 six. wait. We're going backwards. Wait, so, I'm seven. sorry. Seven. <laughs> seven thirty. <laughs> okay, I'm guessing seven forty. Seven. I say seven thirty. Okay. On the dot. All right, we see what happens. Okay. So, um, so I got a message this last week. I want to share this with you guys. I got a message from a dear, dear friend of mine and someone I love very much, and he was concerned that I would be teaching people other religions leading them away from god right leading right right and so each week i do a little bit of a disclaimer um <laughs> but i don't i'm you know this is what i just want to make sure people understand i think it's hard to be a good neighbor which is what we're called to be as christ right is what this is what christ teaches us fundamentally as a principle of our own christian faith i think it's hard to be a good neighbor if you don't know your neighbors and the world is a place that's just getting smaller. So I just want to make sure in this series that we know who our neighbors are and maybe we dispel some of the myths because for a lot of us, this is how Islam is presented to us, right? Media be like Titanic sinking linked Muslim shark trained the in Photoshop is, is really five stars here, honestly. I, I got a laugh out of Jose and Spencer with that one. I wasn't sure what that would get us. But, um, I mean, I think that's part of... Well, we posted a question. The dynamic here. Last night. We were like, yes. tell us, what do you know about Islam? What do you want to know? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, like mm. I know some. I know basically nothing, or I know, you know. It is. It's yeah. like before we came into this, I had no real idea of what Islam believes or teaches or practices. So I was in that same boat. It was, it was just interesting because I do think it's one of those things where it's like, what 
can I say or what do I want to say? And so yeah. we're just trying to make it like a comfortable space to explore. It's a, it's a place of learning. And what we always say that we value here is providing a space where people can ask questions and seek. And so that's part of what we're going to do. If you want to talk about Islam, and we do tonight, you have to start in the Middle East, um, really in the 6th century. And so I'm pulling up a map here of the Middle East, but you can, you can see Europe here, you can see Northern Africa here, and what I want to point to is this region that's in kind of, what is that, blue or purple, and the region that's in yellow. And then the space that's right below that, that a lot of you will recognize probably as Saudi Arabia, basically in modern um, geography. Well, the, the place in the purple and the place in the yellow in the 500s would have been empires that were occupied by the Byzantines. That's in the purple. And in the yellow, you would have had the Sassanians. And the Byzantines and the Sassanian Empire were right above where this space of Saudi Arabia would be. And they were fighting for forever. I mean, for a really long time. The Byzantine Empire, the Sasanian Empire. But below them in this space of Saudi Arabia, as we know it today, this space where you can see like all these um, different tribes that occupy, there was a group of kind of tribes that lived together. And these tribes in the Middle East are linked, I'm going to take you back to our first week, are linked to the first discussion that we had, which was about the origin of Judaism. Mm -hmm. Because the origin of Islam really starts with the story of Abraham. And the way we find ourselves in the Middle East in the 500s is by actually going back to the year 2000 years before Christ, so 2000 BCE, and Abraham has a son through the handmaid to his wife mm. because Sarah, his wife, had not been able to have children. Mm -hmm. At some point, in somewhat desperation, they make the decision that he will have a child through her handmaid, mm. and that is Hagar. Well, I, I see you I'm sure Hagar at me. <laughs> was stoked about it, too. I'm sure she was totally on board, didn't want a life for herself, just... Why would you? Why would you? I, right. Just we, couldn't imagine why. Sorry. It gets very complicated. Not into that. Not I, into handmaids. Hot not, take? Not into handmaids. Yeah. Okay. That's a very hot take. Okay. Controversial. Handmaids good, handmaids bad. So Hagar has a son, and his name is Ishmael. Well, Sarah gets pregnant, uh, which is a surprise, and there is some conflict, shocker of all shockers, <laughs> The wife and the mistress are at odds with each other. And, right, Jose? <laughs> Go figure. And the wife, Sarah, eventually tells Abraham to make the mistress, right, the, the handmaid, go away and take her kid. And that happens. But what Genesis tells us, and these stories kind of unfold between Genesis 16 and 21, basically, the, the Bible tells us that God says to Hagar, hey, I'm going to take care of you. 
I'm going to make a great nation through this kid. And so God makes two promises. One is to make a great nation through Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah. And the other, God says, I'll make a great nation through the other boy, which is Ismael, the product of Abraham and Hagar. And so Abraham and Hagar kind of, I'm sorry, Hagar and Ishmael kind of disappear from the Bible. Okay. Um, and the Bible takes the route of Isaac, right? And that becomes the story of the Jewish people. But there are many Semitic people, essentially descendants of Abraham, that end up coming through, people believe, Ishmael. Well, the story is that Ishmael and his mother, Hagar, end up finding their way down to northern Africa in this region of Saudi Arabia, all very close to um, the nation of Israel at the time. And this is where we end up picking up the story in the 6th century after the death of Christ. So, so 600 years after Christ is gone. Almost. Shy. Almost 600. Around 600 years. Yes. And here's my, here's my timeline. So in the year 570, a very important event occurs, and that is the birth of Muhammad. And Muhammad's going to play the central role in starting uh, the religion of Islam. And Muhammad is born in the region of Mecca. I don't even know if you can see it, if they have it outlined on this map that I've given you. The real you. question is, can you see it? Because you don't have your readers on. Dude, I can't see. I can barely make you <laughs> That's out. That's what I figured. Without That's what my I glasses on. I don't, I, yeah, I don't see it on there either. But it would be kind of lower half, just above this yellow line where it says how I seen right there. That would be about the area of Mecca. Um, not that important, but that's where Muhammad is born. Now, at the time that he's born, this region of the Middle East isn't highly Jewish and it isn't highly Christian, even though Christianity has now been around for almost 550 years, right? But there are Jews and Christians living there. This is a pre-oil Middle East. So this is all desert. Mm-hmm. And there are tribes that are existing there, but it's not super sought after, let's say. Like, it's nobody really wants, wants to, to be, be in the desert. In the desert. Yeah, it's a hard place to live. The, there's fights over water. The tribes are fighting. But there is this place called Mecca that becomes really important. And part of the, part of the importance in all of this is that Muhammad is born there. Now... When he is growing up, his father dies before he's born. Then his mom dies when he's like five. Then his grandfather dies when he's like eight years old. He grows up with his uncle, so not, not an auspicious start. And he grows up with his uncle. He becomes a merchant. And then there is an occurrence that happens in 610. In 610, as the story goes, Muhammad is praying. Now, remember, there's no Islam. There is no Islam at this point in time. You have tribes there's that no worship. There's no label on it. No. What is the label on it? The, well, it's nothing. You have tribes that worship different gods. This is a polytheistic arena, right? So okay. people worshiping lots of gods. And there's a place in Mecca that we'll, we're going to look at called the Kaaba. And the Kaaba is this big building that is believed 
to have been originally put there by Adam, right? So Adam creates this space called the Kaaba, and then Abraham builds off of the space that Adam created. Wait, like Adam, Adam? Like OG Adam? Original gangster, Adam, Adam Genesis okay. 1 and 2. Okay. So, how many years before that would it have been? Let's not get into the debate of okay. when Adam okay, was okay, on Okay, 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 you're right. I shouldn't have even touched that. So, the All story right. is that Adam starts this. Okay. Abraham actually restores it and builds it with Ishmael. But this Kaaba, when um, when Muhammad is living in the Middle East in Mecca, is a place where people have and come to worship lots of different gods. So you have Christians living in this region, you have Jews living in this region, you have people worshiping different gods in this region. But it's legal. Tribes of all over. It's all legal. legal. It's all legal. And it becomes a big deal because Mecca becomes a route for people to come and praise their gods. So this becomes a, a, a source of revenue for people there. So the, the tribe that um, Muhammad belongs to, this is an important deal. Um, just follow the money. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, it's all, always yep. follow the money. So they like this polytheistic practice because it brings a lot of people there. Well, in 610, Muhammad is visited by the, the angel Gabriel while he's in a cave um, during Ramadan. And the angel Gabriel, who's always in the thick of things, like that dude is always making the news. Okay. I don't know why, but he's the guy who always gets the good assignments. And he goes to Muhammad and he speaks to him and he says, basically, recite, recite. And Muhammad's like, I can't recite. And he says, no, recite. Basically instructing Muhammad to learn the word of God and to teach the word of God. That happens in 610. So what happens over time is there's a belief that Gabriel ends up revealing the word of God to Muhammad, which eventually becomes the Quran, over time. And so Muhammad, in the spiritual quest, right, he's just a merchant. Verbally, the yes. angel is verbally well, relaying he's texting this. him. A he's lot like of Snapchatting him. <laughs> yes. Okay, so he's the heavy TikTok presence. <laughs> back it was, was trending at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so but realistically, this angel is telling Muhammad, and Muhammad is recording it. Is that particularly convinced of? Is that God, Allah? Right? And we talked about that a little bit earlier. We That's Christians, Jews, Muslims in the Middle East would all recognize God, would use the word Allah in Arabic to call God, God. The God of the universe. The God of just everything. Like, just like we say call God that. in English, right? They would say Allah. Well, Muhammad becomes particularly convinced that he needs to kind of restore this monotheism to this space that has fallen into polytheism. And so this begins his journey. And you can see he, in 622, as he's becoming a leader and a preacher, he gets chased out, essentially, and flees to the city of Yathrib. And Mecca don't like this. He's, dude, you're screwing up the vibe. 
You're shitting on the virus. Right. You're shitting. <laughs> yes. That is. That's, that's. That's exactly right. Because they make money. The yeah. whole economy is. So built. you think it was more about money and not more about just like everybody just gets to do what they want to do. Because a hundred percent. Okay. I mean, I believe it. One. I believe it. People love money. People love power. I get that. But I'm like trying to think of it in terms of like if I'm in that scenario, I just. Can you see me? Oh, we were interrupted. Okay. There's all kinds. I wasn't even looking. I totally forgot. There's that. so many. Oh, a good portion of it was how good Cheyenne looked tonight. Oh, my God. I love and how, it. Okay. And how pretty Ben is. I'm stopping right now because all these comments are just talking about how you're gorgeous, which that's fine. We all stipulate. Anyway, back to the story. So look at this Salty. map right here. Spencer, if you can pull it. And then, um, well, that's a conversation for another day. And then all the way to the west into Spain, within 120 years, this thing just Boom. explodes. I mean, it just gets huge. And so during this time, and we'll come back to that here in a minute, but I want to make sure... Here are terms that we all need to understand. When we talk about Islam and what is becoming this great third world religion, which is honestly one of the more newer world religions, mm -hmm. um, Allah means God. Islam simply means submission to God. Muslim is simply someone who submits to God. Muhammad is seen as God's final prophet, and although people may think, you know, or, or wonder, do Muslims worship Muhammad, that is something that is very clear in Islam. Muhammad is not worshipped. Muhammad is a conduit, is a prophet. So what's the, okay, so that's similar to Jesus, but not? Not in Christianity, maybe similar, it's similar to But just them. based on perspective, right? Well, so... Well, Muhammad didn't claim to be the son of God. Correct. Okay, okay, okay. There's a big difference there. So Sorry. Muslims feel like Muhammad is a prophet. They believe Jesus was a prophet. Mm -hmm. They believe Moses was a prophet. Mm -hmm. They believe Abraham was a prophet. Do Christians believe that? Um, I understand that Christians obviously believe that Jesus is the son of God, not necessarily just... But these other people... We don't really speak about Moses as a prophet, um, but... Yeah, I think you could call Moses uh, a, Again, a this feels like a difference in perspective than it does. In, like, if I'm just looking at... Christians don't recognize Muhammad, though. And that's at all. where this begins. At all? This is, that's where this... We just cut him out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just wondering. Yeah. For, and I guess I should be generous with this. Let's say most of Christianity would say that we recognize the New Testament, we recognize the Old Testament, Kinda. which is a Judaic tradition. We don't recognize the Quran as having any authority. Yes, I yeah. What is a little bit different about that? Well, let me see if I can find a I thought I had a slide for this and maybe I don't. But 
Muslims find the Torah, so again, you gotta go back to the first lesson that we had, right? The first message on in this series. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Psalms, and check it out, the Gospels are all sacred authorities to Muslims. But they also find the Quran as an authority, and it's the final authority. So for them, it's kind of like Christians with the New Testament. Do we read the Old Testament? Yeah. Do we believe the Old Testament? Yeah. We lean into the New Testament. Yeah. That's really our home. So the Gospels aren't a part of the Quran. The Gospels are not a part of the Quran. Okay. The Quran is... But they study it. Well, I mean, and I we're suppose, being, we're suppose being, it depends on... <laughs> right. I mean, we're saying, we're generalizing here, but yes. it is studied within, whereas like in Christianity, I don't think I've heard of a single sect that studies the Quran, right? I mean, so there is like... A, we don't regard it as part of our tradition. They do regard, regard Jesus it. as I don't part even, of I their think tradition. it's been, in my experience, that you don't... It's forbidden. It's not something that you even reference. So that's a big difference to me, which I have a problem with, and I really do respect that about... Is, I, any, I mean, even when we were doing Judaism, like yeah. the idea of being able to reference other spiritual texts to me, it matters to me. So I think that that's pretty cool. It is... Um, yeah, it's the youngest of the three siblings, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And here is a graphic for you that is interesting. Muslims refer to people of the book as these collections. So people of the book would be Christians and Jews. We've talked about that. But also Zoroastrians and Hindus. And so historically... These four groups of people had special standing in Islamic societies. Now, you might ask yourself, Ben, self, who are Zoroastrians? Well, I'm glad you to ask that. And here we go. A little bit of a detour right here. Who are, I got a question for you guys. I'm going to let you comment. Who are the most famous Zoroastrians in the Bible. Now, I asked you this the other day, so you can't answer. <laughs> but I want to. You Well, wait a second. And let's see if... How far behind are we? Will we anybody, get their answers? Anybody? Okay. I'm going to tell you who they are. Do you recognize these guys? Well, why is the middle one holding a huge bong? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, Ben. What is this? <laughs> It totally is a bong. Yeah, I mean, it literally is just like a ginormous bong. What's he, like nine years old? It totally is a bong. Okay. You know, somebody was getting creative in, <laughs> when they were dressing up the school play to be the three oh, that wise is men, so the three magi. Awesome. Like a so I guess we're all smoking myrrh. Smoking myrrh. Man, I'm going to miss my uh, over-under if I don't hurry up. Okay, okay, okay. So... Here's a story that you might find interesting in case you don't know. Um, in one of the Gospels where we talk about um, the three Magi, those three Magi are believed to have been Zoroastrians who were following the star to the Christ child, right? The term Magi is actually an early term for the priests who were Zoroastrians. Zoro Astrian faith is, let's see if I can do this, started by Zarath, 
Thrusa, Zoroastria, if it's Greek, and they worshipped one god. This is one of the very early monotheistic religions that starts close to the time that we ballpark Abraham starting Judaism in covenant with God. But the Zoroastrian god is called, uh, can I do, um, Ahura Mazda, I think. Zoom, zoom. And I can't correct you because I don't know. This is, this is a very early monotheistic faith, and it is thought by a lot of scholars to significantly influence the development of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It was very, very popular in the Middle East for a long, long time. Fascinating. This is my first time hearing about it, too, when we talked about it the other day. And it, it is fascinating. But I've heard about these three dudes. They're, these three guys are, are popular. Now, we've got a whole series. We've got messages on Hinduism, so I'm going to save that part of it. But cool. um, there's a little, that's a little trivia for you. So back to Muhammad. Muhammad is given information, right? He's given the word of God. And people in the Islamic tradition believe that the Quran is a direct statement of God. Now, there are fundamentalists in Christianity that believe the Bible is a direct statement of God. So that's not that much different. No. They think it's the final revelation, like this seals the deal. This is the last part of God's revelation. Okay. And the Quran is divided into chapters, kind of like the Bible, but they call them surahs because they don't speak English. Um, it's Fair. Arabic, right? <laughs> Give them that. Um, 114 surahs, and they're broken up into ayats, which are verses kind of like our Bible. One of the really important takeaways that I want to emphasize for people who've not read the Quran is one of the things that was revolutionary about the Quran is that it questioned economic and social inequality. And I don't think that people in the West would probably expect that that's a big part of the Quran. Mm -hmm. It calls for social justice and care for the poor. Mm-hmm. And it affirms the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels. We talked about that part, mm -hmm. right? Here is, I want to give you just a glimpse into the Quran. Um, Muslims pray five times a day. And we're going to talk about the five pillars of Islam. One of those is the canonical prayer. And when they pray, they often open with this prayer called the Fatiha. And this is the opening. This is the very first part of the Quran. And I copied this for you because I want you to read this prayer with me. Um, it says, in the name of God, Allah, most gracious, most merciful, all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the most compassionate, the most merciful, master of the day of judgment. You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those you have blessed. Not of those who have incurred your wrath, nor those who have gone astray. The reason I do that is because this is the centering or opening prayer for Muslims. When you get a chance, line up the Lord's Prayer from Matthew, because it's shorter in Luke's version. Line up that prayer and look at how symmetrical it is, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? In the name of Allah, all praise due to you, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? It's all this deference to the one true God. May all that you want be all that is. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Just look at these lines right here. You alone we ask for help. Um, forgive us our trespasses. And, and the last part in particular, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Guide us the straight path, Muslims say. Right? Same concepts. Lead yeah. us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Right? This is how we end. The path of those you have blessed, not of those you have, who have incurred your wrath. It's all this deference. It's all this praise and worship of the one true God. That's what Muslims would most central, I, I think, not that I need to speak for Muslims, but for the lesson here tonight, tell you is Islam. The belief in one God and, which Christians will understandably have a problem with, that Muhammad is his prophet. Mm. That is well, central to Well, they also recognize other prophets, though. I mean, geez. They do. Jeez, guys. They do. I have a couple more verses here that I want to quote from the Quran because, and I've included them because I think a lot of people have the perception that the Quran is very violent and that it's it's dangerous. Have in that you way. read the Bible? <laughs> if you haven't read the Old Testament, super violent, rated R. Seriously, I mean, come on. Why do you think there's not a movie about it? Well, it's, there is, and guess what? It was rated. <laughs> well, there's a tension in the Old Testament as we try to figure out what reflects God and what reflects the translation by man of what God's desire is. I get that. I'm just saying and that at face value, if you're going to call something violent, they're both, I mean, it's violent. There's violence in it. You got to own it. There's it's a violence. Very in it. violent compilation of books. These are some quotes from the Quran that I just wanted to share, like parts where it says there should be no compulsion in acceptance of religion, that you're not to force people to become. Muslim, right? Unto you, your religion. Unto me, my religion. Respect. Now, I also included a part down here at the bottom where it says, fight in the way of God those who fight you, but transgress not the limits. Truly, God likes not the transgressors. There are these parts of the Quran that does say, look, if they come at you, you give them everything you got. But when they call for peace, then you back off, right? So fight to preserve what's yours, but don't go looking for the fight, basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm not telling you that all Muslims live it like that. The same way I'm not telling you that all Christians live Christ's call to peace. Exactly. Uh, as, as it's spelled out in the New Testament. Um, but I think there's value in knowing these are the passages from the Quran. Mm -hmm. um, there are... Five pillars that all Muslims try to meet. Okay, so there's the belief in God, one God, that Muhammad is his prophet. That's very important. That is central, and so that's our first one. But in addition to that, there's the Salat, which is the canonical prayer. Muslims are supposed to pray five times a day. Is that and that prayer that we just looked at? Different prayer. It, it, well, that's an introduction to what the prayer might be. Okay. On Fridays, Muslims meet, and they'll meet in their prayer temple. And in that space, that's usually when they get their message. So it's the closest thing we can think of as the church, 
right? But they don't have pastors like we have pastors. They might have an imam, but like in Springfield, we only have one mosque and it doesn't have an established imam. So the person who is most respected will get up and give a message and people will pray. When you pray, you point yourself toward Mecca Mm -hmm. because that's thought of as to be the kind of central point for Muslims. So you'll direct yourself. All prayer temples for Muslims will have a a, a place that points toward Mecca Mm -hmm. so that you can point toward that, and that's like your guiding rod. Uh, Zakat is another principle of Islam. By the way, if I say something and it's Arabic and it sounds Spanish, and you're like, that doesn't sound (laughs) right. It's because he's Latin. Everything I say, I feel like... Every foreign language sounds Spanish. No, and I just, I no, you do it justice for sure. From it. No, you're good. So zakat is the idea of alms or giving to the poor. Um, Saum is the fast of Ramadan, which is very important. 30 days of fasting, nothing to eat or drink between dawn and dusk, and no sex. Um, and other things. Other Sorry, guys. Things, heavy exhale. Um, and then the hajj, which is if you can afford it, you're supposed to make a pilgrimage. To Mecca. To Mecca, yes, I did read about that. A sacred space. And here's an image in the incredible Whoa. graphics. Are those people? <laughs> that Whitney puts together for us. Those are people. Oh my goodness. Oh, if you want to see. They're not wearing masks. The Burning Man of Islam. This is where it happens. Crazy. Right? Uh, these pictures are incredible. So, Whoa. what you're looking at right here is the Kaaba. It's beautiful. This is the space that Muslims believe was, can be traced back to Adam and to Abraham, which was used as a great space for polytheistic worship at one point, but which was captured, taken over um, by Muhammad solely and exclusively for the worship of Allah. So that is kind of a primer on what Islam, how Islam got started. And what I think you also should know, God, I'm behind. I'm going to go real fast. After Muhammad dies, let me go back to my timeline right here. I want to show you something that you can see. Okay, so after Muhammad dies, you have a series of people who lead the Islamic community. Abu Bakr is who first leads the Islamic community. And then you have Umar, um, it's Uthman, and then Ali is the last one. This is really important for you to understand Islam because there's a disagreement in the Islamic community about who's supposed to lead. Well, Abu Bakr starts leading them afterwards. And let me see. This leads us over time into this golden age of Islam. And here's something really important to know. From the 8th century to the 13th century, a substantial part of that time is what Western Europe calls the Dark Ages. Like It was a deterioration of Western Europe. This time right here? Golden Age? Yeah, well, so it would probably be that the Dark Ages for Western Europe would be more like 500 to 1,000, but there's significant overlap here. Okay. There's the fall of Rome. There's there are plagues. There's fighting in Western Europe. Like it's a really it's a bad time to be there mm-hmm. for like 500 <clears throat> years. 
Um, sorry. No nude beaches. Sorry. That's you, not what you we're guys. doing here in Europe right now. Uh, there's nothing good. 7.34. It's 7.34, which means Ben loses. What does he owe me? We I didn't even... Drink. A drink. I don't need another drink. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll think about it. Let's just table that and give me two uh, a couple few minutes to try to get through this. I'm just happy you lost. Well, all right, I'm sorry. So for the period of 8th century through 13th century, I'm not sure that many people in the West know this was the golden age of Islam. And if you're interested, go look at this, and you'll find people like Al-Khwarizmi, uh, I'm sorry, Al-Khwarizmi, it's Khwarizmi. There you go. Al-Khwarizmi was one of the leading mathematicians of the early age, which is where we get things like algorithms and algebra. Bone structure. Jeez. He, yeah, it's incredible. Could have been a incredible model people. these days. What's the villain's name off of Aladdin? It's the villain in Aladdin? Jafar. 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 We're off there. He can, yeah. Khwarizmi was responsible for the spread of the Hindu Arabic decimal system, which is why we're all counting in the numbers we use and not Roman numerals. Thank you, and you're welcome. Um, also, there was the spread of poetry and architecture. Mm -hmm. um, there were poet philosophers and mathematicians. Mathematicians, Baghdad. So we, you know, most Americans have a very distinct view of of Baghdad mm -hmm. because of recent events. But Baghdad was a hub of learning. The dark ages for Western Europe were not the dark ages for the entire world. Mm -hmm. They were the dark ages for Europe. But in other parts of the world, like the Middle East or China, which would have been the time of like the Tang Dynasty, these were times where the world was making tremendous progress wow. in math and architecture and poetry and art and medicine. Tremendous leaps. And what was significant about this was Muslim people were using the Greeks and the Romans. They didn't ignore those things. They were incorporating those things. There's probably close to more translations of Greek literature in Arabic than there is in English because they thought it was that important. But most of us don't know that. Mm -hmm. And so what some historians will tell you is that this time of the golden age of Islam was like the incubator for what was going to become the renaissance and the enlightenment of Europe. Like this is the preface to what's going to make its way to Europe. Right. It is and connected, then, which is why it's important that we know about it's, it. It's incredible, but we just don't know that or and I'm afraid in a lot of ways don't respect that. I think there's also this belief that like Islam entered into these spaces and forced people to become Islamic. Right. This is a quote from Ira, Ira Lapidus, who is a professor emeritus out at Berkeley, a, a world scholar in history. And I think it's important that we recognize that a lot of historians looking back at what happened will tell you Islam didn't in large part, forced people by the sword to convert. People converted when Islam took over cultures and was dominating cultures because a lot of times it was to their advantage, right? I mean, if the ruling class is Islamic, it kind of helps you to be Islamic. If the ruling class is Christian, kind of helps you to be Christian. And so I just throw that out there because I think there is the idea that this is a dangerous or a violent space 
and I think that should be challenged a little bit. One of the last things I want to share is this idea of Sunni, Shia, and Sufism. This is the last thing that I've got for oh, you I never tonight. heard of, I did read about Sunni and Shia, but I didn't read about Sufism. A lot of people hear that there are these different um, factions of Islam. So when, when Muhammad dies, there's a disagreement over who should be the leader of the Islamic community. And what, what eventually becomes the Shia faction believe that it should be the immediate descendants. It should be his son, which would have been Ali. The Sunni people believe that Abu Bakr was the appropriate person to lead and that essentially Muhammad gave a blessing to people to lead outside of his immediate descendants. And so this becomes kind of a political rift, right? Who should govern? Who should lead? Shias believe it's this group. Sunnis believe it's a broader net. Sufis are the mystical element. People like Jalaluddin Rumi, who worship in a in a mystical way, and they're a very distinct group of Muslim culture, Islamic culture. So I've I've talked. It's almost seven forty. You pretty much know. I win. I know that's a lot. I. Probably too much. I don't and we think didn't even so. real, we're not even really scratching the I surface know, of what happened. I know. I'm really starting to think through this whole time thing. I just Well, the interconnectedness of all of what's happening, the faiths, the beliefs, the people, you can see this. They're coming out of the same space. They're coming out of the same belief. It's monotheism dominating the culture and the faith of the region, which is spreading itself and finding its way across the world. Um it's Incredible, and I think you should just have a healthy respect for it. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. Um, you don't have to agree it's with everything. It's healthier if you don't. Faith. It's yeah, it's healthier if you don't. I, but I do think I don't know. There's a quote I wrote. I read. Well, okay, hold on. I read <laughs> today. Back up, I didn't wrote it, and I didn't read it. I read it today, and it was talking about the only way to not repeat the past is to study it. And so that's why this shit is so important. Like, if you don't like what you see right now or if you don't like what you've heard about in history, maybe you should learn about it a little bit. You know, Rabbi Block said the first week that we started this series that it's important to know history, to know not just the mistakes and not repeat them, but also to know the things that we've done right. Yeah. And and to use the things that we've done right. Yes. To know what we've done that has worked, that's been good for us. Right. Um, And so I think... T- to, to do that, you got to know the history of everybody. Not just your history, yes. Because some people have done things really good too. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to convert to Islam. Nope. Um, but you should, you should know that. Can't dismiss other people and their humanity and their stories. You can't do it. So let me set up next week. All right. Next week up. we're going to talk about some of the contemporary Muslims who are doing work around the world in fields um, that relate to peace and gender equality and climate change. We'll talk about Sharia law a little bit. We will talk about Sharia law. If you've ever heard about Sharia law, we're going to talk about that next week. And we're going to talk about the mystics. And let me just say this about the mystics in Sufism. If you've never read the Persian poets, I haven't. I, I'm I, your your life is not complete. Whoa! 
This this is some of the best mystical writing to God that you will ever find. No, I mean everybody loves them. It's just phenomenal. Shell Silverstein style. Everyone can just I'm... find them. <laughs> Everyone cute illustrations. The Giving Tree. <laughs> it's phenomenal. So okay. we're going to talk about mystical Sufism Excited. next week a little bit in addition to some of the contemporary work that's being done in the Muslim community and I hope you'll come back and join us. I hope that wasn't too boring. I know it's a lot. I feel like I'm just word vomiting at times, but that's because you're the speaker. That's <laughs> it what just I got. feels that way. So thanks for hanging out with us guys. <sighs> I enjoyed breath. it. I don't think Deep yeah. Breath. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to learning more and I had a great time with you all tonight. Um hope you'll join us again next Thursday at six thirty PM. We're always here. We're always hanging out. Well, we're not always I mean I mean, we're always here on Thursdays on at 6.30 Thursdays. p.m. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, it's guys. True. We'll see you later. All right. Have a great week, everyone.